Welcome to Don't You Lie to Me. <laughs> okay, let's go. Don't you lie to me. I'm going to have another drink. Don't you lie to me. Explain that to the kids. Don't you lie to me. Okay, let's hear that story. Let's start interviewing. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Don't You Lie to Me. I'm your lovable host, Jeff Bell, and that guy over there is our producer, Warren Hicks. With this podcast, we're exploring the visual arts scene in North Carolina by bringing you interviews with artists and arts professionals throughout the state. If this is your first time listening, please check out our website, don'tyoulietome.com, for previous episodes, images of our guest work, links to their websites, art venues, and more. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at D-Y-L-T-M-N-C. In today's episode, I talk with arts educator Jessica Rooley. She's the Director of Education and Public Programs at the Nasher Museum of Art. Enjoy. The following podcast contains adult language. Oh, I like that. X-rated, R-rated. Holy shit. Previously on Don't You Lie to Me. All right, let's do this. What the hell am I going to talk to this motherfucker about? I think he's listening. This is going to sound stupid. <laughs> Did that sound stupid? Fuck you, Mom. <laughs> I also remember... Uh, what else do I remember? I don't remember. Fucking Southerners. <clears throat> I'm always interested in how people get into... A jockstrap. Yeah. Try to... Try to, try to... <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling this out of my rear end, and maybe not what you'd expect. Butterflies, airplanes, insects, some gorillas. Squirrel, Dalmatian puppy. 867 objects. We wanted to have more objects. And we blew them up. They were pretty much indestructible. Did I just step in something? Shit. So I, I, it's, it's, maybe. Oh. <laughs> I've always heard people say, Ooh, my syphilis is crazy. That's what my grandma used to say a lot. Yuck. That's going to kill you. Drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> the Pope is the biggest sinner of all. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, Jessica Rooley. Hey, Jeff Bell. You are the Director of Education and Public Programs at the Nasher Museum of Art at Duke University. I am, lucky enough. All right. And so we're going to start out by going way back. You're from Florida. I am. And you tell people that you are from Florida? I I admit it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I own it proudly. Um, One thing that I'm always interested in is... You know, obviously, we know a lot of people who are artists, and they grew up in that. But the other side of it, museum professionals Mm -hmm. and curators and art historians, people that devote their lives to art but don't make the art. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit about your background and what led you into this passion for art? Sure, absolutely. So I was raised visiting museums when we would travel and, and going to museums often. My mom is a retired Latin teacher. Oh, well. Right? And so um, I come by my educator genes from her side. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would oftentimes use art in the classroom. So teaching from classical sculpture and architecture was definitely part of what she did. And then I went off to college and ended up majoring in art history and had absolutely no idea 
what I might do with that degree. And a professor suggested I intern at the Rinalda House in their education department. And after that summer, I was like, this, this is exactly what I want to do. That was your first summer out of school? It was actually the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Oh, so you were still in school. I was. I was. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out what on earth you do with an art history degree. And yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to Winston-Salem, I, I figured out where I wanted to go with it. The Ronalda House. Mm-hmm. Now that's a thing, isn't it? Right? Some yeah. good people there. There are. It's a neat place. What um, Was there like a an experience or just the whole thing or was there... A moment? Was there a spark? You know, they really tossed us in. So the summer interns there, we had a few weeks of training and then we were up and running and we were giving tours of the exhibitions. We were working with school kids who were coming from summer camps. We were making art in the galleries and, you know, you were just in it and doing it. And I loved every minute. I absolutely loved it. It was that intersection between the art that I love so much and the visitors and their experience and getting to share the galleries with people. So you knew like the education route. Mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. I like that a whole bunch. So you were in school at Davidson. In fact, I was. And how was that? I loved every minute. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a gorgeous campus. It's it a really small campus. So you have the chance to get to know everybody. Um, it was what brought me to North Carolina originally, what made me fall in love with North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It was a good spot to be. And then what happened? <laughs> what happened after that? Yeah. You so graduated. I Thank goodness. Mm. Skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> doubt, I doubt that, seriously. But I went straight from there to D.C. So knowing I wanted to do museum education, there's a great program at the George Washington University. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up there doing um, a degree in museum education and interned at Smithsonian American Art. And realized, again, just how much I enjoyed this field and what a great opportunity it was. Now, this is going to sound real dumb because mm-hmm. I've only yeah. been in museums for 20 plus years. <laughs> when when you go to... We're a, learning every day, we, Jack. We are. I'm trying real hard. Whew. So when, when you go to a program like that mm-hmm. and you're learning about doing education, mm-hmm. are you specific to a certain kind of art or a certain... Uh, years or how does that work or is it more general? No, yeah, it's a great question. So specifically, we are looking at how people learn Mm -hmm. in museum settings rather than in classrooms and how you teach to all different audiences, but it wasn't even art specific. So um, classmates of mine have gone on to work in science museums and history museums. Um, I have a classmate at the Field Museum in Chicago. I, I like have, it there. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it, it's really about how people learn in informal spaces rather than in a traditional classroom setting. Right. And so you you worked outside of the art world. Did I, I make that up? <laughs> I, I think you might have. I thought you did. You work at Marbles? At, well, didn't you work at the Museum of, of History? 
I did. I did. So I worked both at Marvel. See, now you're making me sound stupid when I actually was right this time. <laughs> so so both both museums were really great in that I was at Marbles and the North Carolina Museum of History while I was in Raleigh, and they both really let me focus on the arts. So when I was oh. at North Carolina Museum of History, I was responsible for their teacher programs. Mm-hmm. And that year we did North Carolina pottery. We did quilt making. Uh, <laughs> you were like, I'm doing art. I yeah. don't care what y'all normally do up in here. Well, we can certainly teach history through art. Uh, oh, I just got corrected, Warren. I agree with you. Yes. <laughs> so that was my focus at the History Museum. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And what? How did marbles? How was that all about? Were you cutting wood on that little wood station? Marbles was so much fun. Mm-hmm. So I was hired at Marbles when it was still Explorus, mm-hmm. um, and was part of the team when they made the tra- transition to it becoming Marbles, which was great fun. Was it? it? Was, yeah, it was a fantastic time to be there. Mm. And then you went. You, the, after that was the Nasher. Yeah. So, you know, I very much wanted to be somewhere that had a collection and to be working from art objects. And the Nasher has been a great spot for that. It makes a difference. You know, I've I've worked in places that have collections and that don't. And you miss it. You You do. There's a there's something to learning uh, and being around certain things again and again and recontextualizing them and that. That for me is very important. It mm-hmm. just it just resonates with me. I know it, it's a personal thing, but um, absolutely and exactly what you're saying. You know, for my love of the visitors, being able to have a conversation based off of the same object with third graders and with adult visitors and with Duke students and hearing all of those different perspectives and interpretations right. of an object is thrilling. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And I also love the, um, like with the Nasher, you know, I've, I first started there in 1998, which was 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and to have seen some of the, some of the works be in so many different exhibitions and, and um, considered in so many different ways. It's Absolutely. really cool. Well, the different conversations that works have in one exhibition versus another based off of what's nearby and what the context is right. makes you see them in a whole new way. What's your favorite thing at the National? Oh, you know I can't possibly. You can't? <laughs> I couldn't begin to. You don't have a favoritist? No. So in fact, um, I, I say this often, that with the closing of each exhibition, I feel absolutely heartbroken and distraught. And I think never again will we have an exhibition this fabulous to teach from. And then four weeks later, we open a new show <laughs> that I fall head over heels in love with. Right. So... Um, how is it when you're when it's not your favorite show? Does so, that ever happen? Um, so clearly that is not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't possibly be a thing. Um, and yet there there's art that I haven't necessarily loved personally, and and might not be my favorite in that way. And I oftentimes find that those are the exhibitions or the individual works that I have some of the best teaching conversations Mm. with. And I think that's because what I'm hearing back from viewers doesn't necessarily reflect my perspective on it. And so it's this great opportunity to see something through another person's eyes. Now, 
you know, obviously there's a lot that goes into an exhibition that most people don't know about for, from the very beginning. The a cura- thing or two. A thing or two. It's it's scary. But so like a, a curator obviously works very hard mm-hmm. to put together this theme, this thing that encompasses the show. This is and what the show is for a long time. And they write a lot about it. And so you, you building up sort of work off of that script or mm-hmm. you start to develop... Do you find that by the end of an exhibition that your viewpoints and what you're talking about have changed since the beginning? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think there's always sort of the the underlying thread that we started with or the major thesis of an exhibition that's going to be there regardless. But as the exhibition is on the walls and as we have hundreds and thousands of visitors coming through the space and engaging in conversation around it, you can't help but see works differently and and have your thoughts around a show sort of shift and change based off of all of those conversations and all of those interactions. Right. Yeah, I know when I was at 21C, I found that that happened all the time. Mm -hmm. So I would give these tours and over the course of the show, by the end of it, I would be like, oh man. Wait a minute. I feel like so different about... Um, what I really think this is about or mm-hmm. maybe how I feel about a work. Uh, several times there were works that I, when, when when I first saw a photograph of it, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then it became like my most favorite thing. Felt like you so, couldn't live without it. Right. It it does. It's amazing how that works. And it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's a privilege because, you know, how often can a person see a show? Like if, if mm-hmm. even if a person is like a member of a, of a museum and I mean, they may see a show like three times, it's a really different thing to be in a space and be with a work of art hundreds of times. Absolutely. And it totally um, can affect how you think about things. No. And you're right to say that it's a privilege because it is a real gift that we receive from everybody coming through the door that, that we get to have this experience over and over again and get to see the world in all new ways. Mm-hmm. That was well said. <laughs> can it's I put, my hallmark moment. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt, Warren. Can you make that happen? <laughs> One of the things that I love is a program that you started. You did a big TED talk. Is that I true? Did. In fact, it is. Yeah. How, was that scary? It was terrifying. Was it? It was. Um, so, you know, the the talk itself is terrifying because you've got all those people there and mm. you're standing in a circle on stage <laughs> and <laughs> it is just you. But, but actually the lead up to it is pretty nerve wracking too. They actually mm-hmm. give you a speech coach. Um, and, wow. and so when you meet with them, they're like, all right, so tell me about yourself. And you talk for about two or three minutes and they say, okay, so here are the 10 things you do wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, so it it takes a thick skin. <laughs> yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I was really glad I did it. And so you learned. You felt like you learned a lot from the speech coach. Hopefully, I, I'm sure hopefully. You did. I, don't, I don't know what she would say. She was a Davidson former Davidson professor, so mm. we had the Davidson so we like connection. Her. I liked her a lot, mm-hmm. Bonnie McAllister. And so, what was the topic of your speech? So I was talking about a program we have at the Nasher that's near and dear to my heart called the Reflections Program, which Mm -hmm. is guided tours for visitors with dementia and their care partners. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a lot. It is. It's a mouthful. It's a lot to think about. What got you interested in that as a focus for a specific tour or series? 
So I mentioned that I grew up visiting museums, and that was something we did often as a family as we traveled. And then um, when I was in high school, my grandfather started to show signs of dementia. And um, as, as he progressed throughout the disease, one of the things that we found was that being really engaging, doing activities together was something that was still really successful for all of us, that it was still a way to spend time together and to enjoy being with one another in a way that didn't require memory or recollection Mm -hmm. on his part. And I didn't make any associations between that and my museum work until I was at a conference about seven or eight years ago and heard the team from MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York, talking about a dementia program that they had recently started and had done a bunch of research around and had realized how successful the program was. And it made all of the sense in the world to me based off of my experiences with my grandfather and and why that would be so successful for folks with memory loss. And I became really excited about bringing it to the Nasher. That's super cool. So what does that look like? If, if you, if you um, go or you bring mm-hmm. a, a family member or how, what, what does it look like when I go into the space? Yeah, so um, it depends on the tour. We offer 60-minute and 90-minute versions of the tour. And the basis is spent looking at and talking about art. Mm-hmm. So we spend an hour in the galleries. We're in conversation. It's very relaxed. Mm-hmm. It's about being in the moment and what the people see rather than being focused on any art historical information or um, who the artist is or what the context of the work might be. It's all about our own personal experiences that day. And then on the longer 90-minute tours, we also incorporate art making Mm -hmm. and music. So from month to month, we alternate between whether or not we're doing live music in the galleries or we're in one of our classrooms creating something together. One thing I think about a lot is um, I had a grandmother that dealt with dementia for a long time, Mm -hmm. and um, she would never acknowledge. Mm, Sure. You know, I'm I'm imagining that that's a hurdle for a lot of people. Yeah, so there's a lot of stigma around dementia, and and there's a lot that I think we all hold on to as individuals. We live in a culture that celebrates youth, and um, you know, it's it can be a really hard thing to say out loud mm-hmm. that that somebody's experiencing memory loss, and so. Quite honestly, it's not something we talk about on the tours. That's what I was going to ask. So you, it, it's just <laughs> we talk about art. So you, it, it's just a way to facilitate a conversation. You're mm-hmm. not talking a lot about the the dementia itself. No, we aren't. You know, unless it's something that comes up organically in the conversation right. with the visitors. The real reason to distinguish between an adult tour that's simply a guided visit at the Nasher and a reflections tour that's specifically for visitors with dementia is um, that we move at a different pace. We have the understanding of where everybody in the group is at. So if there is the 
repetition of a phrase or if somebody is midstream and forgets a word, there's no judgment or shame about that. Right. You know, it's it lets both the person with dementia and the caregiver sort of relax and know that everybody in the space understands what's happening and is experiencing the same thing in their world. And so people are incredibly relaxed on these tours. Folks are really able to sort of let go of their own concerns around dementia and simply enjoy the time together. And you've done this for four years? Four years now, yeah. Have you changed the approach over that time? You know, we've learned a lot. You know, I think anytime you're really deliberately inviting a new audience into your space, you're going to learn a lot about what works well for them, what works well within your building. So we've adjusted our practice in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, we deliberately try to look at fewer works of art on the tour because we don't want to feel rushed. Mm -hmm. We want to let the conversation really be organic and play itself out rather than feeling obligated to move on to the next thing. Yeah. We also have had to do some really um, deliberate changes around the physical space, thinking about the seating that we're using, thinking about how far we're moving within the galleries, mm -hmm. thinking about accessibility just in really sort of basic day-to-day -day ways that make it a more pleasant trip for our guests. And how could I find out about this? <laughs> well, it won't surprise you to hear that there's information on our website. Is that so? In fact, in fact. Um, so if, if you visit the Nasher's website and look for reflections, we've got some great photographs of groups coming on tours. We've got information about dates and time of tours, as well as how you can sign up. We do ask that people register mm -hmm. for the tours in advance. But my favorite thing that you can find on our website is a short video. It's, it's just five minutes, a documentary film that a Duke student, she was a graduate student at the time, made about the reflections experience. And it's done in the voice of people who come on the tour. So rather than hearing me talk about it, you get to hear, you know, what they enjoy and, and what the experience is like for them. That's a neat video. Can, it is. Can we put that on our website, Warren? Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. That'd Very be great. Cool. And, you know, the other thing I love about that video, besides being in the first person for the visitors, is that it highlights having Duke students be involved in the program. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't something that we asked Katie, um, Caitlin Henderson made the video. We didn't ask her to do that, but she was in a class at the time. She was also working at the Nasher. She felt really interested and um, compelled to make this video. And I think having students be involved in the program is a really key component to it. One thing that I think a lot about is your, your title is education and public programming. Mm -hmm. And at the Nasher, they feel very integrated. Mm. Is it sometimes difficult or is it even possible to, to separate education <laughs> and programming? Or, or do you feel like it's all kind of feeding one thing? Yeah, you know, it's it's all about visitor experience and engagement with the museum. So it is really interwoven between what our K-12 students are doing in the buildings, what our Nasher teens are doing in the building. You know, those typically feel follow more under the education umbrella, but then all of our public programming is also intended to be for everybody and, and to be open and inclusive regardless of 
age or how somebody's come across the museum. So what are some unexpected outcomes that have happened from some of your programs? So, you know, for us, there have been great relationships that have been built out of the program. There have been just individual observations that have been really unexpected. But I think for sort of museums who are doing this type of work more broadly, one of the more unexpected things that really interests me is some of the research around how other staff members are impacted by these tours. Mm -hmm. So there's a woman out of New York City, Carolyn Halpin-Healy, who was one of the originators of programs for visitors with dementia. She has a, a great organization called Arts and Minds. And research she's done has shown that at institutions offering tours for visitors with dementia, not only do the staff members working on the tours have lower rates of stigma for those with dementia, but staff members simply affiliated or associated in some way in terms of space. So security guards, front desk staff, staff in the cafe, all show larger or smaller rates of stigma around people with dementia. And so really hoping that these types of programs allow for people to be seen as people mm -hmm. and not to be seen as the disease that they've been diagnosed with, but rather to be seen as individuals who are interested in coming into our spaces and engaging around art and having meaningful conversation, which is a radically different way for looking at people with cognitive loss. Right. So this program, and you, you've got so many other programs that deal with different departments on campus. Mm -hmm. In particular, this program kind of touches on the medical center. It does. T talk about working with departments and like the medical center, other places that aren't art specific, that have different um, disciplines or focus. How is it to bring art into that conversation? Really, I think for our program, being at a university art museum, that's what makes us different and stronger from other art museums that are offering similar tours because we have these other experts on campus. We have people who come in and train our staff on dementia and working with people with cognitive loss, we get to go to other departments and share about what's happening in the museum and what we're seeing with this particular audience. The program itself never would have started without the Duke Family Support Program, which is led at Duke and for people from all throughout the community who have a diagnosis as a way of engaging around that particular diagnosis and what's available for them within the community. I've led sessions at the geriatrics grand rounds at the medical center, the neurology grand rounds. It's just a great opportunity for students at Duke who aren't in an arts specific program to see how the arts can be part of a healthy and balanced life and how they can really connect to work that's happening on the medical side of campus. We hope as the program continues that that'll be something we are able to explore and do more of. We recently had um, a series of talks on the topic of museums as laboratory, so a place where research happens, and wanting this program to be one opportunity for neuroscience research to happen in a public space rather than in the controlled sort of non-realistic space of a laboratory, mm. but really happening out in the public. 
So you, you talked a lot about sort of health mm-hmm. and yet you go out and hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about this other activity you're involved with. My new love? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I believe you're referencing my roller derby days. Right, yes. Is yeah. there something else we want to talk about in the same... Just, just wanted to be sure we were on the same page there, Jeff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, yeah, so last fall I started skating with Durham's Roller Derby League, mm-hmm. um, Bull City Roller Derby, which is absolutely more fun than you can imagine. It's an incredibly supportive, encouraging group of women who are willing to teach somebody like me a new skill. Um, And I'm blown away each week at new things that we can all do and try together. And do you have a name? In fact, I do. In, in fact, I had my derby name long before I started skating. Um, so I saw a derby bout several years ago and was absolutely infatuated with it and knew it was something I wanted to try and named myself Belle of the Brawl. <laughs> Very nice. (laughs) Bell of the Brawl, which um, has stuck and, yeah, has become my derby name. So you're fancy and yet inflicting pain. (laughs) And willing to fight it out. I love it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Multifaceted. Uh, I would say. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Warren. Are you bored with the same old boring restaurants? Rejoice! Now there's a new, unique dining experience, the Coroner Cafe. That's right. I said Coroner, not Corner. Located on the corner of Mortuary and Morgue in the heart of Death Valley, choose from a wide variety of exotic meats. Our menu changes daily. Try our Blue Face Special or the popular Donner Party Platter. Then indulge yourself with a tasty, homemade John Donut. So, if you're starving to death or dying of thirst, tell your friends to meet you, that's M-E-A-T, at the Coroner Cafe. Food to die for. Hey everybody, it's time to get off your ass and go look at some art. Please check out an installation of my work called Read Nautilus. That'll be up until July of 2019, and they're in the storefront windows on the main street side of 21C. Check out a new exhibition by friend of the show, Beverly McKeever, at the Craven Allen Gallery in Durham. The show is called Eyes Wide Shut, New Paintings from the American Academy in Rome, now through January 26th. For more information, visit CravenAllenGallery.com. Also, coming up in December, you can check out a new body of work created by myself and Megan Sullivan. We work as Notary Public. That'll be at The Cube at VAE Raleigh, December 26th through February 2nd. You can find out more at vaeraleigh.org. Don't You Lie to Me is bravely sponsored by the Nasher Museum of Art at Duke University, presenting People Get Ready, Building a Contemporary Collection. You'll see artists like Maria Berrio, Barclay Hendricks, Amy Sherald, and more. Also presenting a Cross County Lines contemporary photography from the Piedmont, a group exhibition of work by 39 artists with close connections to this region. For more information, visit nasher.duke.edu. And by 21C Museum Hotel Durham in the heart of downtown Durham, a multi-venue contemporary art museum offering more than 10,000 square feet of art-filled exhibition and event space. 
a full-service boutique hotel with luxurious guest rooms, currently on view portraying power and identity, a global perspective, and Patty Carroll, anonymous women. For more information, visit 21cmuseumhotels.com slash Durham. If you don't hate what you hear, please tell your friends, family, and random strangers on the street to listen as well. Also, please consider helping us out by subscribing on iTunes, writing a brief comment, and by giving us a rating, preferably a good one. All of these things go a long way towards helping us climb the charts, which also helps us gain non-fake sponsors. You guys are amazing. Don't You Lie to Me is physically sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c nonprofit creativity incubator. You can find out more about them at VAERaleigh.com. We'd also like to thank Matt McMichaels for the use of his studio, Trusty Woods. Our theme song was written by our own Warren Hicks, and our logo design was created by Artsy Martha. Don't forget to check out our website at DontYouLieToMe.com. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family to listen as well.